greetings, greetings, greetings. Today's episode is going to get really, really, really personal. But not just to be sharing my business or telling my business, but to tell a story of survival in a way that at one point in time seemed impossible to me specifically. Today's episode is still going to be a read, but it's going to be a read about how lyrics help me become aware of things that I knew to be true, but they weren't on the surface of my life. The surface of my life was about things that were chaotic and confusing and insignificant and unfulfilling, to say the very least. It was the summer of 1998. My youngest son was in daycare. My oldest son was in middle school. And I was exhausted. Not from any one thing in particular. It was just everything, literally. It was uh, my choices in life. And once you make certain choices, you're in them for a long time. It was my relationship with the father of my children. It was my relationship with my family. It was my relationship with America. It was my relationship with myself. So it was a lot. It was a hot summer. And I had gone through an incident... Um, earlier that summer where my, the father of my children and myself had gotten into a public altercation at his barbershop. We lived in Queens, New York at the time. Not going to say the neighborhood, of course, but we were in Queens, New York. And again, it was a very public altercation. It got real physical, really physical. And in general, People didn't call the cops at that time, uh, but somebody did because it was really, it was really bad. So when the police did come, um, I can't recall what was going on with anybody else. I was just very glad for the opportunity to get away from the situation. It was so embarrassing more than anything else. I was so embarrassed. And so when I got separated from the the situation physically, I began to walk away. And there was an officer, very, very heavy set white officer, like white, white, who was red. He was like pinkish red at the time and screaming something. And I, t- and I was like, I don't know. I was confused. There was a lot going on. And he was like, he saw me walking away and chose to scream at me and say, bitch, get back over here. And I looked to him and I smiled. You know that exhausted smile? you just exhausted about everything. I smiled and I just kept on walking away. Nothing happened. Nobody came after me. Nothing, you know, I don't know what happened with that situation. I just, I went home. Um... We didn't stay together too much longer after that. We ended up breaking up for good. 
You know how sometimes people go back and forth in relationships. When you're young and you don't really know yourself fully and you begin to grow apart and you're frustrated that you're growing apart, but it still happens no matter what. And um, later that same summer, I um, I heard... <laughs> I heard this voice, and I knew it was a black woman, but she was saying things I wasn't used to hearing on the radio. Now, anybody who knows Queen's late 90s, you know it was music bumping out of car windows all the time. And this particular song was a woman, a black woman, describing the ankh. And how it was 360 degrees of life. It represented life. The man, the woman, the child, life. And it was from Kemet. And I was like, what? So that was the beginning for me of an awareness of myself that I was more. That she said it out loud on the radio for everybody to hear. And she's talking about our history. That was the beginning of my awareness. And there's some people who use different words, consciousness, um, woke is a term. I heard somebody recently, this year, some white woman wrote a book where she had a whole chapter on being woke. She considers herself a liberal. And then somebody was asking her what it means, what woke means, and she couldn't describe it because she's just talking. And woke is more than just a four-letter word. (laughs) We're going to deep dive. I'm going to deep dive into some of the lyrics that helped me be more aware of myself. Even in the midst of people, places, and situations, and programming, and policies and procedures that tell a black woman or try to tell a black woman what she is and what she isn't. And when you're aware, when you have a certain heightened sense of self-awareness, none of that can tell you you for you. And I am thankful for that word. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The first song I'm going to get into is Other Side of the Game. Now, thankfully, I had enough sense not to get, well, have children by anyone who was going to definitely go to jail. Um, Other Side of the Game is the first song I'm going to get into, first set of lyrics I'm going to get into, and late 80s throughout the 90s the game was what the game was but my the father of my two children he was a barber he was a very popular barber very handsome very stylish and very talented 
he was an artist with that, those clippers. And those who were involved in the game loved to come to his barbershop and get their hair cut. So we lived that lifestyle of materialism. But I wasn't worried about him going to jail. Not for cutting hair. <laughs> so, you know, that was cool. But it was still that same type of lifestyle. The late nights, um, he was involved in going to a lot of the parties that were out then. And it's New York City, so all the stars used to come out there, whatever. And when she said, do I really want my baby brother tell me what to do? I said, I know you got to get your hustle on, so I pray to understand the game sometimes. Just trying to understand all those late nights and all... the different aspects of our situation. Now, me and baby got the situation. See, brother got this complex occupation. Now, he wasn't out there hand-to-handing it, for those who know what I mean. But owning a barbershop at a really young age, you know, without going to business school or without having any real mentor about how to get the money, how to pay the taxes, how to how to do everything that you need to do to keep the business going and and make it profitable is 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 a situation. And um I could identify with the song when she said, He gave me the life that I came to live, gave me the song that I came to give. Pressure's on me, but the seed has grown. I can't make it on my own. I can't. I don't, I don't subscribe to the idea that a man, I mean, that a woman don't need no man. Listen, when we did break up and I had those two children, two boys by myself because I chose to move out of New York to North Carolina instead, that was a choice I made. He, he didn't just not be there for them. He's still a very active part of their lives and they're grown men now. But for me, I just didn't want to be in New York City trying to raise two boys by myself. The school system was horrible. Um, Trying to pay rent out there was unbearable. Um, I wasn't, I didn't drive when I was in New York City. And being a single mother wasn't the move. It's not the move anywhere. And I don't like when people tell young ladies, you can do it, you can do it by yourself. I didn't, at the time, have the support of my family. I didn't have the support of his family anymore. They were supportive when we were together. But when I broke, when we broke up, it was just me. But, you know, I was on the other side of the game. I was on the other side of the game. And this, this during this song, I remember all having the material things, you know. And this song spoke to that. She said, don't you worry, baby. I know there's confusion. But we paid, though. Listen, back in the day, he used to make sure I had diamond tennis bracelets. And I had, if anybody remembers the, the 1990s, remember Sherling's? I had a purple Sherling. It was authentic. It was an old fake plastic one. It was real lambskin, purple shirling, hair getting done all the time. You know, things that I thought were important then. And they were. 
And they were then, but my peace, my peace wasn't included in the equation and my own growth and my own success and my own elevation wasn't included in the equation. So even though he gave me the life that I came to live or so I believed at that time, he became the sun and I became the moon. We were just on parallel planes precious gifts that we both received but could this be make-believe and for me it was and I just became aware that yeah this wasn't this wasn't for me and at some point I was gonna have to let it go and I did the next track is on and on and <laughs> yeah, my money's gone. I'm all alone. Too much to see. The world keeps turning. Oh, what a day, what a day, what a day. Peace and blessings manifest for every lesson learned. If your knowledge were your wealth, then it would be well earned. This was a time in my life where I had not earned my degree yet. At the time, I had gone at a few college credits, well, a lot, actually, but I didn't finish. I was going to school at the time uh, to earn a bachelor's in psychology, and I had chosen to go to Hunter College because that's where my paternal grandfather had um, passed away from a heart attack at the age of 42 years old when my father was just nine, and I wanted to go to that school, something beyond my grandfather's energy drew me to that school. Hunter College just has something for me there. And when I got there, besides trying to earn the degree in psychology, I learned that there was a Black and Puerto Rican Studies department. And that's where I learned about the work of John Henrik Clark, who established that department, and others like Shake and Tadiop, and Ivan Van Sertima, and Patrice Lumumba, and Kwame Nkrumah, and Asada Shakur, and the list literally is on and on. And I learned about Kimmet. And so it just was amazing to hear her sing, I was born underwater with three dollars and six dimes. Yeah, you might laugh. Why? Because you did not do your math. And the irony of the fact that I didn't finish my degree in psychology because I was not good at math. It wasn't any <laughs> any light reason that I wasn't good at math. Another story, why I was so exhausted at such a young age, I was in my 20s, I was so exhausted though. Um, when I was in seventh grade, we were bused, my group of intelligent friends and I were bused to a school in Maspeth, New York. I will say that location. And it was supposed to be the quote-unquote better school because it was a white school, right? So I get to the school. Me and my friends go through sixth grade. It's amazing. Uh, my, my friends, we loved to be smart. We loved being, you know, we had a 12th grade reading level since third grade. So that's the group I was rocking with. And by this time, my parents had gotten divorced, but I was still good. I had my circle of friends, you know, 
And then um, seventh grade came. Beginning of seventh grade, we were in the gym. Racism is never talked about. Racism, even though we were bust and, you know, all these things happened. Now, this was back in the 70s that this happened to me. Um, but we were bust or whatever. And we went to the school to, I guess, be integrated <laughs> into the school. There was no integration happening. I was on one side of the gym with my group of friends. There was a group of white girls on the other side of the gym. And the thing that divided us at that particular time was uh, what they call a horse, like the gymnastics horse. So the girls, the white girls were talking or whatever, and I heard the N-word. Now, I've never been called a nigga directly as far as I'm not, not to my face. And she didn't even call me a nigga to my face, but I heard it. So here goes superhero me, right? I questioned her, like, are you talking to us? And then she looked at me very, very confident and not at all afraid of me. So, well, why would she be? I was in her neighborhood, right? She said, yes, I was talking to you. Boy, before I knew it, I reached over that horse. She had long, bone straight black hair. I reached for a handful of it and pulled her over the horse via that bunch of hair. Was I wrong? I was absolutely wrong. Was she wrong? She was wrong too. Not in the same way I was because I got physical. I was seventh grade. What's that? 12 years old? She was 12 years old. I remember being pulled into Mr. Gross's office and told, you know, of course I was berated or whatever, whatever. And um, I tried to tell them why I did it. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. She was never addressed. She was, she was the victim. And she went back to class. I was expelled. Not expelled. Nope, I wasn't expelled. I was suspended from school for three or four days. I can't remember now. And um, when I returned to school... I had left school in the top class. I was in 7-1 when I came back to school. Not only was I not in 7-1, I wasn't even in 7th grade anymore. I was demoted to 6th grade. And I spent the rest of what should have been my 7th grade year in 6th grade. Now, I had already aced 6th grade. I, was, I never had a fight before in school, before that or even after that. Never. I wasn't a fight. I didn't have to. That wasn't my life. I was just disturbed by that N-word. And instead of a, that was an opportunity to have a conversation if people did, wanted to do more than just integrate the schools. <sighs> Again, I can't condone the violence. I was wrong. Never had a talk about race before that. Never had to talk about race after that, whether it was my family, whether it was school, um, TV shows would talk about it or whatever, but not on a personal level. So, yeah, I got demoted and then I never went to seventh grade. I went from a demoted sixth grade that I already did. I already went through sixth grade. I already aced it. And then they put me in eighth grade. They put me in like a really low 
low grade, eighth grade class, I had skipped the entire bulk of, I had no idea what seventh grade, even to this day, I don't know what people do in seventh grade. When my, when my sons were in seventh grade, I had to get them a tutor or whatever. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't know math. I don't even know how, honestly, I graduated from junior high school, much less high school, but I did make it into college because when it was time to, um, to get a college degree, I went for a program in New York that was um, the CLEP program at the time, college-level entry program. And my reading scores got me over the top. And I just really just did the best I could with studying really hard to get through the math. But I got into college, and I did end up finally earning a degree in criminology later on in life. But ultimately, math. Math matters. Like math, it kept me blocked in a lot of ways. Um, so, like I said, when I started out this episode, all of that, I was exhausted from all of that of not living up to my own potential and knowing it was my own choices that kept me from living up to my own potential. You know, so when I heard these Erica Badu songs speaking to my life so personally, yeah, I started becoming very, very aware of my own power to either build or destroy my own life. In verse 3, she says, you rush into destruction because you don't have nothing left. The mothership can't save you, so your ass is going to get left. Mm. And at the time, I felt very, very, very left (laughs) behind, alone, so many things. But on and on, right? Track four, track four, track four. This is where the turning started for me. When she started talking about the cipher. Y'all know what a cipher is? There's all kinds of ciphers, but a cipher can be represented by a circle, which consists of how many degrees? 360 degrees. And my cipher keeps moving like a rolling stone. My cipher, my cipher represents myself or the atoms in my body, and the rolling stone represents the earth. The atoms in the body rotate at the same rate on the same axis that the earth rotates, giving us a direct connection with the place we call earth. Therefore, we can call ourselves earth. To hear that on the radio, the nation of the gods and the earths that used to be on the corners in New York City trying to give us knowledge of self and today's mathematics are, but I never knew the fullness of it. I just heard snippets of it here and there, enough to let me know to plant the seed in me that I am more. I am more than all of the circumstances and the situations and the relationships that didn't work and the troubles and the problems and the definitions of me outside of myself. It was it was beautiful. That was the awakening there, for sure. That the beginning of it, for sure. And I can't even can't even say that because she's 
just repeating what the nation of gods and earth used to say on the street corners and the nations of the gods and the earth are repeating what the nation the nation of Islam used to say a nation of Islam was under the direct the direction of Malcolm X and Malcolm X learned from Marcus Garvey and Marcus Garvey learned from those who came over from Africa and those who came over from Africa kept learning and teaching and teaching and learning and they still live in our DNA so the cipher keeps rolling like a rolling stone and is is a lot for some people to grasp but like I said that summer it was the key it it just I remember being just like like a bright light came on in my soul cuz she was talking about our truth out loud you know track 6 yayo now in this year of 2023 i understand yayo is speaking to the energy of our ancestors and calling on the ancestors and asking for the help but then i didn't know any of that any of the practice of tapping into and acknowledging and honoring the ancestors I just knew that sometimes I get so lonely, lonely, lonely. I feel all by myself up here. That's when I take a minute to reevaluate things, all of the things I think are special. Like when you wake up in the morning and you see the morning sun and you need to know the world is on your side. Who do you run to? Who can you turn to? Then the evening comes to greet you. You need someone to hold you close and you feel your need You feel a need to rest your aching mind. Who can you turn to? Who can you run to? Mm. We'll see the suns in the east and the moon reflects like the knowledge and wisdom I manifest. Oh, gosh. So now that I have learned to call on my ancestor, that, that song really means much, much, much more to me than it did. Mm. I can't say more. I'm just more aware. But she was the first person that I ever heard sing about giving reverence, honor, tribute, and calling on Yayo, our mothers, our ancestors. That's an awareness that has been extremely helpful and healing in my life. For real. Track nine. Certainly the live version only. Oh my goodness. When she spoke to how they came over to Africa to come get us and then rearranged us and still do. Mm. Who gave you permission to rearrange me? Certainly not me. Who told you that it was all right to love me? Certainly not me. Oh, this speaks to black women for sure, for sure. To those of us who are not in healthy relationships, not only with others, but with ourselves, 
we are detached from our most high self and we're not making choices that are building us but are instead breaking us down and um it spoke heavy to me when she said the world is mine when i wake up i don't need nobody telling me the time the world is mine when i wake up I don't need nobody rolling over, looking after me. No. Yeah. I woke up then. So, woke. (laughs) And consciousness and even people will take the word hotep and use it to try to degrade another black person. To demean them. To to consider it a, um, I don't know what, but it's, it, you can tell when they're using it in a derogatory manner. And <laughs> I don't need anybody's permission. I don't need anybody looking over me to tell me the time. The same way you don't need me to tell you about John Henry Clark and Sheikh Antetiap and Ivan Van Sertima and Kimmet. And the meaning of the Ankh and the nations of the gods and earth and Malcolm X and anybody else. I don't need anybody to tell me that they're not valid because I know what's true for me. I know what speaks up out of me, out of my DNA and out of my ancestors and out of my lineage and out of my heritage. And so I celebrate that with joy. I celebrate being awake to my greater and greatness that lives in those that came before me, that lives in me today, and that lives in those who are coming after me. And I celebrate it. Word. Ultimately, our consciousness or unconsciousness, awareness or unawareness, Awakeness or wokeness or being asleep is our own, our process. Everyone's journey is different. So it's not up to me to tell you, read this, do that, go here, go there. It's up to me to live my life as an example for anybody who's interested, to protect my life for anybody who's interested in trying to <laughs> drain my life from me and um yeah to live it, live my life to the fullest and at a certain point in my life when I wasn't aware of myself as aware of myself as I am now I wasn't living my life to my fullest and that was a dishonor to the ancestors who went through and survived a lot just for me to even exist in this time. So Erica Badu is just an example, well, rather her lyrics, not her as a person because I don't know her, but the lyrics, whether she wrote them herself or in collaboration with others, is an example of the information that is out there, that is available for us to tap into. And it's never any one thing. Never. 
It's not. It's a culmination of so many things. That's what makes the journey interesting. Erica Badu is definitely an artist. Not everything she's done after that even interested me, but it was that particular live album that just was one of my waking moments, I like to say. Yeah. What was yours? I would love to hear or get feedback about what was your most memorable awakening moment to the greatness that lives inside of you, connected to your specific culture and heritage? Let me know. One.